0: welcome to another episode of Agape Fellowship, where we study the Word of God verse by verse. Jesus is teaching the laws given by Moses with authority and clarity. In the earlier episodes, we understood God's stand on anger, conflicts, and adultery. We saw how God's yardsticks are different from the carnal ones. Let's continue to study from verse 31.
1: Verse 31, Furthermore it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, for any reason except sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Let's read Deuteronomy um 24 1 to 2 1 and 2 can someone take Deuteronomy 24 1 and 2
2: if a
3: man marries a woman but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something improper about her he may write her a divorce certificate hand it to her and send her away from his house if after leaving his house she goes and becomes another man's wife and the second man hates her, writes her a divorce certificate, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. Or if he dies, the first husband the first husband who sent her away may not marry her again after she has been defiled because that would be detestable to the Lord.
1: So you can see the thank you, Eugene. Exactly. You can see how the actual law is, the commandment is. You can also see how this this there's lot of uh, room for interpretations. In Jesus' days many interpreted the mosaic permission for divorce as granting virtually any reason as a ground of divorce. You can see that, right? Depending on, so there were two schools of thought. One was the school of Shammai which says it was a restricted to indecency or sexual misdemeanor and so on. So there was one school that was very tight on that use of that divorce. And then there was the school of Hillel that's another rabbi. And in his school you could divorce for pretty much anything including burning your dinner. So you could see that this certificate of divorce that Mosaic law permits has great laxity um, of usage. And you can see how it can be used for terrible things, for unfair things. And so I want for us to read this portion. Matthew 19, 1 to 10. It's a long portion, but I want for us to read it. Um, The question of this divorce came up. this exact law it came up so what did Jesus have to say about this law let's look into this Matthew 19 1 to 10
0: now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there the Pharisees also came to him testing him and saying to him Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Okay.
1: And this is the KJV word. Yeah. King James. Okay. Let's also read Genesis 2, 20 to 24. And someone else, please take Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. So we've got some long readings here. Genesis 2, 20 to 24. In Ephesians 5 22
3: to 33 so Adam gave names to all cattle to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field but for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man He made into a woman and he brought her to the man and Adam said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become
1: one flesh thanks this is the portion that Jesus is referring to. In the beginning, it was not so. Notice, now, if when you read the portion of Genesis, you're reading through the creation story, and you're coming through Adam and Eve, and it suddenly seems as if a thought out of nowhere um, that doesn't go along with the rest of the creation story. When Moses suddenly inserts through the divine um, uh, Holy Spirit's um, intervention, um, Moses um, writes this portion and he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined with his wife and shall be one flesh.
2: Now, now It's
1: right in the middle of the, the the creation story. And then he sticks it right in. And then it's sort of like a jolt. What is he talking about the marriage in the creation story? And, uh, but God inserts it there to say, this is the first marriage. The point that I'm trying to make is, um, you saw where Moses, Jesus is confronted by folks to ask why then Moses allows for it. And he says what? The hardness of the heart. It was never intended. From the beginning, it was never. Divorce was not an issue. It should not. And I'll get to the reason why God never wanted divorce. But he says Moses had to permit it permissive will of God. Or if not, you'd kill each other. So, better not to kill each other, better to separate and go live separately, if my other option is you murder each other. But it's just hardness of the heart. Everything that comes in divorce is the hardness of the heart. That is the root cause of divorce. I'm not saying which side, both sides can have their reasons why, ultimately it's hearts that are hardened. Now let's look at Ephesians. Now I'm going to go one step further into what about this marriage and we want to just wrap this up on the marriage and the divorce. So Ephesians 5, go ahead Amy, uh, 22 to 33.
3: Okay, this is the NLT version. Okay. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband.
1: Thank you, Amy. And the core, the centerpiece of a marriage is right here. And it is referred to in this portion where it says this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the Christ and the church. And this is talking about marriage. And now you understand the significance of the marriage. It is true that two people are coming together and they're becoming one flesh and all of that, but there's a much, much, much bigger significant picture going on. The husband and the wife represent the church and Christ. That is the centerpiece of a marriage. It points know. to that.
2: Um, know. Hold
1: on, hold on, Steve. I'll come to you in a moment. Let me finish the thought. That husband and wife coming together represents Christ and the bride. It is that significant. And so, remember, I want to give one example. Steve, I'll come to you in a moment. Um, I want to give you an example where Moses... Why did Moses not enter the Promised Land? Anybody? Why did he not enter the Promised Land?
2: He hit the rock instead of speaking to it.
1: Why? Why was it such a big deal?
2: Disobedient.
1: There was something else. Yes, it was disobedience. Anger.
2: There was pride. something else.
1: Was it pride? Yes, that too. It offended the
3: future of Christ and the church. Because first he hit the rock and it was a wound. The second time all we have to do is speak to Jesus
2: yes. and,
1: God to and to Yes. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's a little more nuance to that. Um, Ruth, you were right. Close. Uh, not quite there. One more time. Anyone else?
3: Complaining.
1: I'm sorry, say that, Pat. Trish, say it again.
3: Complaining.
1: No, no, no. No?
3: Uh, he has to <laughs> crucify only one time. Yes.
1: He was smitten only once. Oh. Christ is smitten once not twice. <laughs> and Christ is the rock that followed them. The first time Moses said, uh, uh, God said to Moses, strike the rock and water will come out. The next time he says speak to the rock. And then Moses out of his anger, which is true, some of you said anger, uh, it is true but that was it, while it was part of it, there was something else. That rock was the Christ, and Christ is smitten once. He was modeling Christ and how out of Christ flows living water, river torrents of water. Remember that? In John, he says, anyone who thirsts, come to me and drink of me. I will give you living waters, and out of you will flow torrents of water. He was the rock. In Corinthians, it says he was the rock that followed him. And so can Christ be smitten twice? No, once.
2: Referencing um, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, 1 and following uh, from the New American Bible revised. Likewise, you wives should be subordinate to your husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by their wives' conduct when they observe your reverent and chaste behavior and then he, he goes on to say more about that and give examples like Sarah and Abraham right. but um, you you pointed uh, from the Ephesians verses uh, you you made a reference to the church and, and what um, and he does in verse 32 um, the church is 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 not only a fellowship organization, but it's a missionary organization. And here, he's saying the wives have a mission. And in their subordination to their husbands, uh, even if the husbands disobey the word, some of them, they can be won over without a word by their wives' conduct. I think it's a wonderful tie-in to to the marriage relationship.
1: I I think so. I know someone who, um, there are some on this line that know a family and I know many families where the perseverance and the forbearance of the wife has brought the husband who was a total uh, drunk and uh, a godless man to Christ and one of them today I can tell you is today a pastor. Uh, and the lady, uh, you know, she persevered, struggled um, and all she did was pray for this person. And uh, today I can tell you um, that man is a believer and not only a believer, a leader uh, in a church leading a a ministry Uh, but he came to that place because of the faithful prayers of the wife. Anyway, my point, thank you Steve, that's a great point. Um, My point is just as the rock, as I was mentioning the rock, this particular husband-wife modeling Mm -hmm. Remember, every husband and wife is modeling the bride and the Christ. Because in that, you're going to see forbearance, patience, forgiveness, um, all kinds of modeling that takes place between the Christ and the bride. All kinds of things that take place. Every action that takes place within between t- a husband and the wife, it all points to Christ. It points to the bride and all those things together and God says no divorce. And then he says out of the hardness of the heart I permit divorce. I'll tell you how bad this divorce thing is. It is shredding of the flesh that has once become one flesh. Can you imagine that? Genghis Khan used to pull out limbs from each other. You you know that right? uh, When he went in he used to just pull rip the limbs out. He used to have um, uh, horses And there were some other um, dynasties that struck terror where they would pull the, you know, tie the the person's limbs and then have animals pull them, shred, rip them apart.
2: Now, even as I'm
1: saying this, you, you can imagine what kind of a tragedy that is. But that's what is happening in the case of a divorce. Shredding of that which was one flesh.
2: Very similar, to, very similar to what happens in a church fellowship when uh, the pastors cause division and the church splits. Well, uh,
1: that happens too. Uh, let's keep focus on the, on the husband and the wife, um, um, but what you said is true. Anytime where there's a break, uh, it happens. Sadly, God's permissive will allows that divorce to take place. I want to revisit another topic. Why? We've spoken about this many times. Can you lose your salvation once you're saved? The answer is you ought not to lose your salvation once you're saved. Just like you ought not to divorce once you're married. Because you are the bride of Christ and you ought not to leave the groom. But hardness of the heart, because of the hardness of the heart, God has permitted it. If you so want to leave me, if you so want to break up the marriage, go. Go. It's a permissible, it's not as intention, it's not as desire but you've got to go, go. He told Judas, Judas, go and do your thing that you were planning to do. I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I'm talking about. Every divorce is witnessing two hardened hearts and bringing Christ and his bride to shame. Verse 33. Again, you have heard it, Sorry.
2: What do you think about remarriage? You say
1: it's
2: okay, and sometimes people are forced to um, uh, get divorced. But uh, kind of says there that you can't remarry otherwise you can't get divorced.
1: Well, the the scripture is clear about it, isn't it? Seems to be. Yeah. Well, and I, it's I, a very hard thing. So I don't want to call. You know. Um, let the Holy Spirit guide in that portion. It's a very difficult thing. Extremely difficult and uh, heartbreaking thing. And I would say, (laughs) ask the Holy Spirit here. If you were the type that was going to forbear, you would ask, how long should I forbear? 70 times 7? That's what I would say. 70 times 7. And it's also, the question, the forbearance is also your forbearing without hope. You are thinking, and the one that talks this way is thinking, that God is not able to change the heart of a person. And as I mentioned to you, I know some people whose hearts have been changed as a result of it. So, yeah, it's not forbearance without hope. We don't have a God whom we cannot hope in we have a God who has given us hope so I would say forbearance with hope let's move on 33 again you've heard that it was said of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform your oath to the Lord but I say to you do not swear at all neither by heaven for it's the heaven God's throne nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no." The scribes had twisted this portion. Um, And he said, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, Exodus that is in Exodus 20, 20 uh, Exodus 20 verse 7 to permit virtually every other name in a false oath In other words you could swear by anything else as long as you didn't take God's name you could take the in the gold in the temple or you could put the temple or you could do any of these things that, Pharisees said, you know, they're too smart. They're a little over smart. Too smart for their own good. So you could swear under anything. But God is saying, Jesus is saying, look, you don't swear about it over anything because they don't belong to you. In fact, you cannot even don't even swear over your own head. Don't take an oath and swear by your own head because you cannot make your white hair black and black hair white. Just be or yes, yes be or yes, and your no be or no. Don't go beyond that. Did God himself swear oaths? Yes, of course he did. Did Jesus speak under oath? Yes, he did. And Paul made oaths. So it's not about the oath, but it's about the fulfillment. You cannot, you don't, you, you cannot say things that you cannot fulfill. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So Exodus uh, twenty-one twenty-four says about the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Also in Deuteronomy 19 it talks about the tooth for a tooth. These were governed principles. But in time they became, they were governing principles, but in, in time they became a requirement. And so Jesus is saying here, look, that is not what, we, what you ought to be doing. And he's saying that turn your cheek. If he slaps you, turn the other cheek. By the way, the slap is not the, the slap as to hurt you, but it's the slap of insult. In other words, from the backhand, you know, hitting with the, the back of your hand. That's the slap that Jesus is referring to. In other words, if someone insults you Take the insult. Take the insult. You know about the the walking a mile. Uh, that portion is when a Roman soldier comes and says, "Carry by knapsack for the one mile." You are required by law to carry it for the one mile. Now, when the person carries for one mile, yeah, you know, he is uh, he's angry, he's upset, and all those kinds of things. Uh, however, Jesus is saying, "Don't be." carried for the next mile he's in other words give in give off yourself if someone asks you for something give it and if someone wants to borrow it let him borrow it verse 43 you have heard it was said you shall love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward is it? What reward have you? Don't even tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brother and only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do that? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again, it says, you have heard it being said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was a requirement, Leviticus 19, 18. But I say, love. Jesus is saying, in, it reminds him, it reminds people, the Jews, that God means to, that God's intention is to love all. And then he will go into details of who is my neighbor. That, we'll come to that later in the same gospel. Who is my neighbor? So we are called to live a life where we are loving others and giving up off of ourselves. If you love those who love and uh, those who love you, what reward do you? Everybody does that. So what's the difference? Christians are called to that. Therefore, if you want to be perfect, here's what he's saying. If, you, if a man wants to live as Jesus has told us, he's saying he would never hate or slander or speak evil of another person. He would never lust in his heart or covet anything. He would not make a false oath. You would let God be your defender. God will defend your rights. You won't take it upon yourself to defend it. God will defend you. And such a one would love his neighbors and even his enemies. And if you did that, then Jesus is saying you would be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect this is the sermon on the mountain next time we'll continue uh, in the next chapter um, any thoughts and comments on tonight's study
2: you referenced early on um, the sequential if you will or the, uh, the continuous sin of adultery in the lifestyle you said nothing can be redeemed from that or about that. What came to my mind was, um, and you referenced David and Bathsheba. Didn't didn't Solomon and Absalom come from that? Although Absalom wasn't the greatest guy, but I think that was no, no. Absalom didn't come from that. Solomon did. Solomon, I know, did. Solomon did for sure. His other son that got hung by the tree and the horse or whatever, but yeah, that's Absalom. Um, but Solomon came from that, and um, you know he redeemed that relationship in right. in his own way. Yes. Not that we should propagate it, but just a thought. Yes. Um,
1: God is in the business of redemption, and um,
2: Amen.
1: we all of us are fallen creatures. <laughs> There's not one of us that is righteous not one. Um, in uh, um, Exodus, I'm sorry, in Genesis 8. Very interesting thing that you might want to read. He's destroyed all of creation and you've got eight people remaining on planet Earth. And these he he calls Noah just, you know, righteous in all of these things. And he and his children and their wives. And then he makes a very interesting statement. He says, all humans, they have gone, they've become wicked. Their every thought and intention is wicked. Who is he talking about? There are no more humans left. He's talking about eight people. That's it. After he's cleaned up shop and he's now started a new recreation of all of Earth, you could say. What am I saying? if we think we have any goodness in us I think we we don't understand the depravity of human life we don't understand it we've all been redeemed and God has given us this ministry of reconciliation not because we have somehow overcome all of our wickedness he's in the process of redeeming us still. He's in the process of sanctifying us, in other words, cleaning us up still. And even when we have not yet arrived to the place of perfect sanctification, he's already given us a ministry of reconciliation, says, go and bring others. So the, 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 the ministry of reconciliation, uh, the redemption that has been given, it's not only that he's redeemed David, and his, he has not rejected David, but because he came, He was repentant, he turned, and he said, he's a man after my own heart. And what are we to say about that? He was a man. I mean, he's, he's a murderer, adulterer, and he says, this guy's a man after my own heart. So God has such compassion on us, and such mercy on us and grace toward us, when we really deserve, all we deserve is justice. It's not just David, it's all of us. I don't think there's one of us that can say, you know what, I'm not like David. Well, maybe not in that, but in this other one, you're worse than David. So, None of us can boast, no flesh can boast in his presence. It's surely his grace and mercy and his favor that we really don't deserve. Um, And he's looking at us and he's looking at at us from heaven and saying, what poor children. You know, they're broken and miserable. Satan has got them wrapped around his finger. And I'm waiting for the day I can redeem them completely and start creation again and give them this new start. Do a reset on creation. I'm going to do it in my time, but he's already told us he's going to do it. So we live by faith, knowing that he's going to one day clean all of this up and give us our lives back as as Adam and Eve experienced before the fall. Until then, he's shown us a way and said, look, that's the way to go forward. That's how you become my witnesses. Now this piece on this portion that we have studied Sermon on the Mount, he's showing us what it is to be his, be his witnesses. And so he's teaching for once, you know, starting again, he's teaching his disciples how to be his disciples and his witnesses.
3: representation of the undying and sacrificial love Christ Jesus has for his bride, the church. Though God hates divorce, he allowed it by his permissive will, so we avoid hatred and murder and keep peace. This is a reminder to not take marriage vows lightly. Jesus also teaches us how to love our neighbors and wants us to go the extra mile to help others out. God will be our defender when robbed. Do join us in the next episode as we continue to learn.